Uh, the reading today is from 1 Samuel 9. You can find it on page 278 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they reached the district of Zuth, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said. I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to his servant. Come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. And they asked them, is the seer here? He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now, he has just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel, coming towards them on his way up to the high place. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way, 
and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite? From the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of, of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you, eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. After they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together as they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while, so that I may give you a message from God. Thank you very much, um, Lucy. That was a long reading, wasn't it? Um, uh, and it was really nicely read. And I think we should all have story time with Lucy every now and then. That was good. Uh, and actually the story didn't quite end where we got to. We probably should have had chapter 10, um, the beginning of chapter 10 as well. You're going to stay up here? That's great. You can stay there. Um, because we got left in the, in the kind of, uh, in the lurch. We weren't sure what was going to happen. He said, stay here for a message. Well, what happens next is that Saul, this chap we've been learning about in chapter 9, is anointed king. Um, and that's kind of the next bit of the story. Uh, we're not going to think too much about Saul's kingship. That kind of goes a bit wrong later on, but we might get there later on in a few weeks. Uh, let me pray as we look at this passage together. So, Father, thank you again for your word. And we ask now as we look at it, you would give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to have eyes to see um, and ears to hear you speak to us. Amen. Um, if you have uh, ever been a child... Um, or had children, which is all of us, uh, then this scene might be familiar to you. Um, conversations along this line. You're about to leave the house to go into town for a few hours. The weather is changeable. And parent says to child, have you got a coat? Child says, no, I'm hot. I'll just wear my T-shirt. It's fine. Child say, uh, parent says, okay, but don't say I didn't warn you. An hour later freezing cold crying child is given coat by parent own coat of parent who then becomes freezing cold as well um, it is a nice little example for of undeserved kindness you know the child didn't really deserve the coat of the parent but being parents we lovingly give our own coat to our children one example of undeserved kindness another one um, more significant perhaps we've got some good friends uh, who are adoptive parents they have three adopted children um, and the older ones are kind of entering adolescence, um, which is always a fun time for everybody. And um, 
Occasionally, one of them, like most children, will have a meltdown and say things that are pretty hurtful to their parents. Um, and, and this can be very hard for parents. You know, think, I hate you, I wish I had other parents, that kind of thing, which is pretty hard to hear, maybe particularly for adoptive parents. And I'm always struck at how wonderfully loving our friends are in response. Uh, they allow their child to calm down, they give them a hug, they remind them just how much they are loved, how much they love them, how much they're part of this family. Um, and it's just a lovely, warm example of undeserved kindness. And I think um, maybe one of the reasons that we are moved by these examples of undeserved kindness is because they, in their little human way, give a tiny little glimpse of the heart of God, um, who is, if you like, at the heart of the universe. And when we see these examples of undeserved kindness, we are just shown some small example of what it means for God to show undeserved kindness. We get something of who God is. Um, and that is what I want us to see this morning in 1 Samuel 9, because I think that's, that is what we see. Uh, it may not have been immediately obvious, as we heard that kind of long and winding story, but I hope by the end of this sermon you might, you might agree with me. Um, as we think about God's undeserved kindness, I've got two kind of people in mind. Um, one is, uh, perhaps you've come this morning and you're looking at church from the outside in. Um, and you're thinking, I, I, I don't normally come to church, not quite sure why you're here perhaps. I would love this morning, if you're in that position, for you to see something of who God is, his undeserved kindness towards everyone. Or maybe you're a convinced Christian, you're here every week, um, but life hasn't quite panned out how you thought it might, you're a bit wobbly, um, you're wondering whether God might still love you, whether there's really space in God's heart for you. Well, I want you to hear again this morning God's undeserved kindness towards you. So if any of those, those things resonate with you, come with me to 1 Samuel 9. We've been journeying here for a while. Um, in many ways, it's kind of a foreign land to us when we read these bits of 1 Samuel. Um, the places are unfamiliar, the names are unfamiliar, the events are ages ago. But what we've been seeing, I think, as we've gone through 1 Samuel, is that people don't change an awful lot in a few thousand years, and God hasn't changed at all. And that is uh, what I want us to see this morning. So last week we were chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. And the people of Israel, you might remember if you were here last week, as Sean opened this up to us, the people of Israel, God's people, who were meant to be different from the surrounding nations, they were meant to be very different, they demand a king. They say to God, we want a king, give us a king. And we say, why would they want a king? Well, chapter 8, verse 20 says they want a king to be like all the nations, all the other nations around them. That is their reason. And God says, no, that's a really bad idea. You don't really want a king. They say, yes, we do. We know better. Give us a king. Um, they want to be like the nations all around them. Now, pause there a sec. Pause there. If you were God, what would you do? Okay, so the nation, the nation says to, to you, we want a king. And you say, no, no. Not a good idea. Don't think you know quite what you're getting yourself in for. They say, don't care. We know better. Give us a king. What do you do? I think, I think personally, I would probably do something like, okay, well, you're on your own then. Uh, you obviously don't need me anymore. I'm out. Um, have it your way. Or maybe, if you're of a different parenting style, you might say, well, I don't care what you want or how you feel. You're not having a king because it's not good for you, and I'll force my will upon you. 
I don't know which kind of parent you are, I won't ask. Um, let's look at what God does. Let's see what God does. We'll get to the story about this young man, Saul. Um, it is a bit odd that we're told how good-looking he is. I, I haven't quite worked out why we need to know that he's a good-looking chap, but he is, apparently. More of that later. But to set it all in context, and to see where God is at work in this long and winding story, uh, all this stuff about lost donkeys and good-looking men, have a look at chapter 9 and verse 15. Because I think this is the key for us to understand what's going on. Verses 15 and 16. So in the middle of the story, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. I think those verses give us a glimpse into God's heart. He says, um, this man will save his people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people and their cries reach me. Those stupid, stubborn, willful people. They are still the objects of God's compassion. Their cry still reaches him. He is moved and he says, I'm going to give them a king to deliver them from their enemies. It's astonishing. I think it's a really beautiful insight into who God is. Um, this man Saul, who is clearly an impressive human, tall, dark and handsome, um, God picks him out. We'll see in chapter 10 that he's going to be anointed with oil to become king. Being anointed literally make, makes him in the Hebrew language, the original language of this book, the Messiah. That is the anointed one, the anointed king of God's people. And I don't know if you noticed that in the weird little kind of um, bit where after he meets Samuel, Samuel says, come and have supper with us. And we think, well, why do we need to know about this supper arrangement between Samuel and Saul? And there was an even stranger bit in the supper arrangement, and that was that uh, Saul sits down the table and Samuel says to his cook, give him the piece of meat that I arranged for you earlier. You know, I've set that bit aside for this man. And we think, well, why? Why? Why has he set this bit of meat aside? Well, it's not just a kind of odd eating habit. That bit of meat, we are told in the law of God, was, a, was meant to be set aside for the priest the person who offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. That is the portion that Samuel has set aside for Saul, who is the anointed Messiah, the king of God's people. So here then is a human being, a gift from God to his people, as his anointed king and priest, who will deliver his people, God's people, from the hands of their enemies. As we, as we hear that description of Saul, I wonder if it rings any bells for us. This anointed king. Okay. Um, as, I, as I look around, there are some kind of less than convinced faces kind of going, I, I can kind of see why that might be interesting for you. Um, but I'm not convinced yet as to why it might be relevant to me. Um, so aside from people like me getting excited about the literary genius of the Bible, because here, by the way, is a, is a kind of, this is Jesus. Saul is Jesus. A forerunner of Jesus. The anointed king and prophet and priest. Uh, for his people. Anyway, so aside from people like me getting excited about the literary unity of the Bible, which is brilliant, what is the relevance to us today? Well, because it shows us that this story from 3,000 years ago is God acting with undeserved kindness towards a stubborn, stupid, and sinful people by raising up a man who is anointed 
um, with a bit of priest mixed in. And God still does that today. He is raising, he, all through the Bible, he was raising up kings, delivering, people from their, uh, delivering his people from their sins, until one day, the climax of the Bible, he comes himself in pure, undeserved kindness. That is our God. That's what we're seeing in 1 Samuel 9. So Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. This is God. This is Jesus. We're seeing something of Jesus in this passage. It was God 3,000 years ago. It was God 2,000 years ago as Jesus came, and it is God today. This is God. This is what we are seeing. So if you're looking in from the outside, as I said at the beginning... Whatever else you know of Christian faith, whatever your experience of the church, and let's be honest, many of our experiences of the church is pretty mixed, maybe a polite way of putting it for some. Whatever else you know of Christians, um, odd as we are, please know this. God is defined by his undeserved kindness to people like us. It's what we see 3,000 years ago in this bit of 1 Samuel 9. It's what we see most perfectly in Jesus, and he is the same God today. Um, we don't have Philistines as our enemies today. Those were the enemies of God's people back then. Today our enemies are different. The great enemies of humanity are simply, I would say, sin and death. Neither of which is particularly trendy to talk about in 2022. But here they are. Sin, that is that we are all too often in a mess of our own making as human beings. We need saving from ourselves, and we need saving from the consequences, both earthly and eternal, of our sin, our rejection of God. And, and what the Bible says is that God offers us deliverance from that sin, from that mess. Second enemy, death. I was watching, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, White House and Mortimer Gone Fishing. Great program, which I commend to you. Um, often, these two comedians go a bit deeper than we might expect. And in an episode I was watching of the most recent series, watching it the other day, um, Bob Mortimer asks Paul Whitehouse, both men in their 60s, he says, how's your health, Paul? And Whitehouse replies, oh, he's doing okay. And then he says, but in a way, we're all fighting a bit of a losing battle because we're getting older, aren't we? I do the exercise, I feel momentarily better, and well, it's tough, isn't it? And then Bob Mortimer replies to that comment, which is quite illuminating in itself, Bob Mortimer says, in a way, it's death that motivates your entire life, isn't it? I pressed pause on iPlayer, and I sat there and went, oh, that is an observation. In a way, it's death that motivates our entire lives. It, it looms over us, whether we think about it or not, like a spectre. Today on Remembrance Sunday is kind of like the one day in the year that we as a nation, as individuals, are allowed to talk about death and the impact it has on us. And we remember those who gave their lives, rightly so. We remember them rightly because they paid the ultimate sacrifice. But every day, actually, death looms large. And too many of us here know its power and know its devastation. The Bible describes death as the final enemy because it makes a mockery of our lives. And I think that's what Bob Mortimer was getting at. And yet God has looked on his people as he did back then. He has looked on his people and he's heard our cry and come to deliver us himself 
from the enemy of death. And in case I've not made it clear enough, what I mean by that, how God did that, was through the person of Jesus. As Jesus died for our sins to deal with our sin, and then he rose again to conquer death. That we might not live in fear of death. That it might not loom over our entire lives. That we might live in hope rather than in fear of death. Like a, God, when God does that, he's like the parent who gives the child the coat that they don't deserve. You know, I don't need you. Here, have this. Or he's like the greatest of war heroes who takes the hit himself. So this morning, as we think about God's undeserved kindness, come to this God who loves you, though you don't really deserve it. If you're a Christian, you've heard it a thousand times before, come to him with fresh thanks. Let, let this undeserved kindness towards you and Jesus that you're being reminded of this morning, let it melt your heart. Let it soften your resistant will that you actually might be changed from the inside out so that actually maybe we become a little bit more like the God who shows us that undeserved kindness. We become more kind to those who don't deserve kindness. We become a bit more like the God who shows us that undeserved kindness. Okay, um, I went bigger, uh, a little bit bigger than intended there on God's undeserved kindness. So, so briefly in second point, um, God's warm providence. And that is also an unpromising um, sermon point, isn't it? <laughs> God's warm providence. Uh, this, I don't know if you noticed as Lucy read this passage, it's quite a funny story. I, w I um, was sniggering through some of it because I think it's quite, I think it's meant to be funny. Um, and if it wasn't for the couple of verses we've looked at, verses 15 and 16, where we see the kind of God's perspective on it, we'd be forgiven for thinking, why do I need to know about a bloke that's lost his donkeys? What is the point of this story and why is it in the Bible? Um, okay. Let's think about all of the little events that happen in this story. A rich guy called Kish, verse 1, good name. A rich guy called Kish has some children. Well, well done him. Um, many people have children. We're told one of them is taller than the others, like most families. Um, and entirely insignificant. Great, thank you. There's Kish and his tall son. He's rich. Again, lots of rich people. He owns the equivalent of a fleet of Massey tractors. That's what these donkeys are. Um, because he's rich, he's got these donkeys, life happens, they go missing. Well, who hasn't lost something? Great, it's insignificant. So, annoyingly, he, he kind of uh, has to send his son and his servant off to find these, these donkeys, which are important to him. He sends Saul and his servant off. They struggle. Again, who of us have tried looking for something and can't find it? And it's really annoying. Well, that's life. Um, insignificant facts. They're about to return home when the servant just happens to remember, oh, there's, I've remembered, someone told me about a man of God who knows everything and he's the real deal. He seems to kind of know stuff from God. Why don't we find him and see if he can tell us where the donkeys are? They go, yeah, good idea. And then Saul goes, oh, we haven't got any money. And I hear you have to pay them to kind of get them to tell you what God's saying. Um, and they go, okay, we'll go home. No, the servant goes, hang on. I've got some loose change in my pocket. Just so happens he's got just enough that might be enough to just convince this seer to, to kind of tell them something from God. So they go, great, well, let's crack on. They walk a bit further. Just so happens uh, that a posse of women are coming down and, you know, being Saul, they probably stop and take notice. And he then says, oh, I don't suppose um, that, you, that you've seen the prophet around. <laughs> and they go, yeah, we have. 
he's just ahead of you, actually. You know, if you hurry, you might catch him. They go, oh, well, that's a coincidence. That's who we're looking for. So they hurry up. They walk on to the town. They see someone coming towards them, and they say, oh, let's ask him, don't suppose you've seen the seer, have you? And he goes, that's me. I've been waiting for you. Um, and hey, presto, Samuel finds Saul. Um, I've gone on so long that I've closed my iPad. I'll open it back up. <laughs> I, I wanted us to see the story as a kind of this seemingly random series of chance events that, that to us are really quite insignificant. Life and its twists and turns, hap the happenstance and the circumstances of life. That's what we're kind of reading about in that story. Uh, and often for us, it can feel as though in life we're kind of careering um, down a dark path. Life just happens to us. We don't have much control over it. But in this story, in 1 Samuel 9, we get to see behind the scenes. And so verse 15, as I've said already, is, as God reveals to Samuel something, it's like God just reveals a little bit of the curtain. He pulls a little bit back. So we get to glimpse God's perspective on all this, these seeming kind of chance events. And because of that, we now read the story and we see those little chance things, all those incidental details as God's sovereign providence. Um, let me quote from a, a, a Bible teacher called Dale Ralph Davis whose book on one sound I'd really recommend to you. This is how he describes providence. It's not a word we use very often. I think it's quite helpful. Providence is God's way of providing for the needs of his people. That wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people. And he's doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives. I think that's what we see in 1 Samuel 9. That chain of completely ordinary events which brings Saul to this place to meet this guy, all because God has picked him out as the answer to the people's need for a king, even though they shouldn't really have one. And as we reflect on that, what God did then, well, I want to say to us this morning, he still does it now. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says that in their hearts, human beings make, uh, plan their course. In their hearts, human beings plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. It is God's warm providence in our lives. I wonder if you'd have stopped Saul on the day that he was looking for the donkeys and said, how's God guiding you today? <laughs> He'd have been like, um, well, not much, actually. Uh, I am wasting my time wandering around the countryside trying to find my dad's donkeys, and it's a complete waste of time. I don't see God's hand in this anywhere. Ask him the next day, after he's just been anointed king by Samuel, he might say, yeah, yeah, I think God was in that. I think God was in that. And the same is true for us. So often it's difficult to see where God is in the present. Sometimes we have the, the kind of the joy of looking back and seeing where God was. But often in this life, we don't see it at all. And there are things that will remain mysterious to us until we can ask God face to face about them. Why did that happen? But I want this morning, if you'll forgive me for using these words, but... Let Saul's asses encourage you this morning. For any non-native English speakers, ass is another word for donkey. Let his donkeys encourage you this morning that God knows the details of your life. And in fact, he is working in the details of your life as he did 
in Saul's life. And maybe even coming to church this morning. I don't know why you're here. Some of us wake up and go, I don't want to go to church this morning. Perhaps some of us haven't been to church for years. We're not sure entirely why we're here. There may be all sorts of little chance details in your life that have led you to this point. Maybe this story of Saul is a little nudge from God to say, I know what's going on. And I've got business to do with you. Not suggesting you're going to be anointed king like Saul, but maybe this is a nudge. If you're resisting him, to resist no longer. If you've wandered, to wander from him no longer. If you're struggling alone, to struggle with him rather than being alone. He is the God of the undeserved kindness to his people. And his providence reminds us that we're not here by mistake this morning. So stand firm in him today. Amen.